0: Fan. I'm, I know. I don't really like football. I was just playing with some friends at work. I know. Shocker. Um, I kind of I saw this really funny Facebook meme this week that kind of made me think, like, that's exactly how I feel about football. Showed a picture of a guy kicking a soccer ball, and there's an arrow pointing at the foot, and another arrow pointing at the ball, and it showed somebody who showed from the Cowboys, we don't pick on them, um, that had a football in their hand, and their hand was out, and they pointed to the football, and it was egg, and then to the hand, hand, it was like, hand egg. This is football, and this is hand and I happen to agree with that. Um, I do like soccer, though, I will admit, so I'm a bit of a Sounders fan, so go Sounders. Um, I love this time of year because it's berry season at home, and during this time of year, I will probably eat my weight in berries. But um, every time I see this picture, there is a part of my heart, no matter how long I've been away from home, this will always be my home. This is my home, and soon Scandinavia will be my home, but a part of me, this picture and that picture of the mountain on a clear Seattle day, is nothing more moving. For some of you in Se- uh, that live, they call Vegas home, seeing the strip from Treeline and about American Pacific, that's, that feeling you get from that view is what I get when I see this. Um, I lived in Seattle. I was born in 1980. I lived there until I was about six. We moved all over the United States. Long story short, I ended up here going to college. Um, when I just was finishing graduating, my parents said, "Hey, we're moving back to Vegas. We're moving there. We're kicking you out of the condo, and you're gonna go live with your sister." And I was like, "I don't feel about that." Um, and so there was an opportunity showed up the very next week for me to move back to Seattle with my job. I took it, and I ran to Seattle like a gazelle running from a hungry cheetah. And it was late winter, um, and it was a bit of a shock. I haven't been in the cold for a while. And it was a really foggy morning while I was driving into work one day. And um, Seattle's kind of like really rolly hills, and then it basically goes <laughs> Mount Rainier. So ocean, some rolling hills, and then mountains. And I'm driving through one of the valleys, and it is foggy Is all get out. And I forgot what it was like to drive in the fog or even what fog was. And I'm driving through this valley, and like all the trees are coming over the road. It's like basically a tunnel, and the fog is filling in everything that the vegetation is not filling in. And if anybody's been to the Northwest, every single summer and spring, you spend at least a week reclaiming your house from nature. (laughs) It is, my mom uses the word oppressive. Um, She left there, and she's like, I'm never going back. And every time we have to go back, it's the look of doom on her face. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Um, Because it's home. I mean, it's her home too, but she loves the sun. And so I'm driving through this, and it just kind of really hit me. It's like, man, this is way different than what I'm used to, the smell of wet foliage, wet pine cone, it's amazing. I will admit it does not beat out the smell that we got to smell a couple nights ago if you're up really late, the smell of wet desert. That is one of the best smells on the entire planet. They need to make a candle of that. I would buy it. Um, but that being said, one of the when summer came around. Um, I was off one day, and I was driving around doing chores, probably a little bit before 11, and I saw the mountain. That's what we call it. In the northwest, we just call it what it is. It's the mountain. We call it the mountain. The mountain is out. And I'm thinking, I'm going to go hiking. It's a beautiful day. It's summer. I'm going to go home. Got my bag, got some water, and I started driving, thinking, I'll be there really quick. Down into the valley, come up the hill, and I see the mountain in front of me. I'm like, yes, I'm going to the mountain. I haven't been there in almost two decades. This is going to be glorious. Go down another valley, come to the hill. It's like, the mountain is still there, and, and it still looks like that. And I go down another little valley, and then we're going up a bigger mountain. And then I'm like, how far is this? I think this is going to be a really short drive. Um, two and a half hours later, I get to the base of the mountain. Um, this is a typical view from a little bit north of downtown. Um, that mountain looks like it's down the street. A lot of times we look, like, thinking, oh, yeah, that's like Sunrise Mountain to here. That's really close. Um, from downtown Seattle to the base of Mount Rainier on the non-drivable side is 76 miles as the bird flies. And I'm thinking, that's really close. And I remember thinking, I should have bought lunch. I probably should have brought more provisions. And I might need to think about getting home before rush hour, which means I need to leave now because it's 2.30 in the afternoon. Um, Forget it. I guess I will just wait and hopefully the raccoons don't get me. And it's the same kind of way that, you know, we are going to approach, you know, the minor prophets. We're starting this series called... The minor prophets. There's 12 of them. And in a lot of ways, you know, we call them prophets because they looked into the future. And they gave prophecy. In a lot of ways, prophecy works the same way as I made my drive to Mount Rainier. There's some things that we know that are in the future, but we don't really know how far into the future. We know there's some things that are definitely in the future. We see one valley and there's the next mountain peak. It's the same way when we look at, you know, even our own mountains. There's some that look closer, but sometimes they're actually further away. And it's kind of neat when we get to go to a place of the Bible that many people don't spend a lot of time in. And I'm really excited that Pastor Ron said, would you mind kicking off this series and helping us put this together? Because one of the things for me that it was so important to my faith is that my faith has to make sense. And I am one of those people that I need the whole picture. If you just give me like one puzzle piece, I'm going to be like, where's the rest of them? Where's the other 999 of them? It's really important for me that it all comes together. We use this word continuity, which is kind of where we get the word continuous or f- continuing through or going all the way through. Like the contiguous United States means all the states that are together. Um, it's the same thing for me or the way I approach the Bible. And I read all the time. And I read daily. I am one of those people. It's a little OCD. I got started at the beginning. And I have to read it all the way to the cover. Also. And usually about 180 days later, I will start to process all over again. I get to Revelation, and then I go right back to the beginning. Um, you're like, well, what do you do for the other five days a year? You're right. That's only 360. And I do miss on occasion five days. And every time it happens, I'm like, oh, i used one of the five days. And I'm like, man, I did not go to God's word today. But, you know, his mercies are fresh and new every single day. But that's the way that I approach the Bible. That's the way that I approach my reading. I'm going to share with you today a little bit to kind of help make this study make a little sense to you. I included in this a little graphic for you. I'm a picture guy. Um, It's really important to kind of put this together for you. We understand many people when they approach the Bible and they read, they're like, I'm really good. I get Genesis. I love Abraham. I love Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. I'm really good even up to the point historically understanding that the Israelites went into bondage, into Egypt, I also know they left Egypt at one point, and you know, Moses, most people know the story of Moses, that um, they, (coughs) 12 plagues were visited upon, they're like, I'm good with that. A lot of times we kind of skip those next couple books because it's law, and it's really hard to picture cubits, and measurements, and laws, and turtle doves, and goats, and sheep, and um, uh, we kind of get lost. Most people are like... Joshua, I'm really good with this. I'm good again on history. They entered the promised land, and now they're conquering the promised land. And most of us are really good to this point. I'd say about, you know, good half of us. But now the remaining half are really, really good, probably up to about the point of the end of Samuel. We believe, we understand the story of King David. We understand the story of King Saul. We're mostly okay with Solomon. But a huge fraction of the church, a sad fraction, gets lost at this point. Because really, at the end of the day, we need to remember that part of the Bible is a history book. It's all archaeologically provable. It is. It's all historical. And it's important. And the problem is, these 12 prophets are going to make zero sense to you unless you can really understand how they fit in God's creation and God's time. So that being said, we're going to continue the story. Like I said, most of us are really good with King David and we're really cool with Solomon. And then sometimes we start hearing this thing like Israel and Judah. And then our brain starts going, I'm a little confused. Israel and Judah. And some people say they're the same. They are the same. But they're not the same. They're the same chosen people of God. But right after King Solomon's rule, um, the nation was split into two. Um, his, there's his son, um, made some poor decisions, and half the tribes of Israel said, we have nothing to do with you, son of David. We're going to our tents in the north. Nice knowing you. Um, There was a divide. The kingdom was split into two pieces. Uh, Israel was to the north, and Judah was to the south. Judah makes up the area mostly where Jerusalem is, and northern Israel would be where Israel is historically here. Um, And in the nation... The Lord during this time sent prophets. And he sent a message because there was a message sent way back in that area, a lot of us skip over in the book of Deuteronomy, that the Lord said, if you follow me, I will do some things. I will bless your house. I will bless your crops. I will keep your enemies at bay. I will make you the envy of everyone on the block and all these things. But there was a however after that, a little box that we sometimes we don't like to read. And he says, however... In the stew version of the Bible, the Lord says that if you turn away from me, I will bring pestilence, I will bring plague, I will bring famine, I will bring enemies that will chase you up a tree that you can do nothing against. And over and over, he says, this will happen. And the people said, amen, let that be. They agreed to the covenant with the Lord. We will follow you. They did that for a a season. Um, Right after King Solomon, it started there. Solomon was listed in the Bible as the wisest man on the planet. No other man before him or after him had the wisdom that Solomon had. But even in that wisdom, Solomon slowly started to shift, slowly started to drift. His wives kind of made his eyes kind of turn to these other idols. We just sing that song, give us pure hands, let us lift our hearts up not to another. Solomon kind of started to do that. And then the king's after that. And some of us get even get into first and second kings and first and second chronicles, and we're like, "I'm following this. I'm getting this." And then usually at this point, this is where almost everybody falls off. Right? After that, we don't know what happens. We know there's some kings, and then Israel is no more. That's really where a lot of us kind of get stuck at. And because historically, you have to do some footwork outside of reading the Bible to know what's going on here, and I'm going to fill in those blanks for you. So as you see this timeline, the kingdom is divided. There are two parts, Israel and Judah. And you're looking at the line thinking, well, why is Israel's line shorter than Judah? That isn't because I wanted to look cool. Um, Israel was conquered before Judah by the group of people called the Assyrians. They were master tacticians. They were unstoppable, and they swept through the Middle East region like wildfire. And the Lord said, I will bring enemies against you that you cannot stop. There is nothing you can do if you turn away from me. If you come back to me, though, I will turn my hand and I will make things good. Israel did not listen. And that's why their line ends. And you notice the box above it, Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire that spanned up from modern-day Iran into the east all the way to the Mediterranean Sea on the west, far north up into Russia and as far south down into Saudi Arabia. They were kind of like the Middle East Romans of the day. Unstoppable, they thought they were gods. Judah looked to the north as their sister fell. The Lord continued to send messengers saying, come back to me. Judah went a long time because they had a few kings who kind of wisened up to things. Hezekiah, one of my biblical heroes. Josiah turned the nation. Unfortunately, kings turned it back. They went for a while. Edom is a little nation off to the east of what is modern-day Israel's kind of, um, I think, western Iraq is where this really falls, the mountain region. Um, And even the Lord sent a messenger to them, Obadiah, saying, Edom, my eyes go to and fro. You have not escaped my notice. You too will fall unless you turn to me. And that's why we have the minor prophets. The minor prophets... Had messages from the Lord, the most the most and a lot of times this is the part of the Bible we don't go to is because we don 't get it and we don 't get it and then we're missing a huge picture of the Bible so if we kind of fill that in a little bit um, there's also a page in the Bible that isn't in the table of contents that I think is very very important also i haven 't yet to find a Bible that does not have this page in it. there is usually a blank page between the book. Of Malachi, the last chapter, and the first couple pages of Matthew, and it is almost always says the New Testament, or sometimes it's flat out blank. This represents 600 years of silence. So after Israel and Judah fell, and the Assyrians kind of took over, and there were prophets at the end of Malachi, there's 600 years that takes us to 1 BC or 0 AD, depending on which Matthew you prefer, to the Gospels, which is Jesus. So now we understand uh, continuity, how do the, all these there's pages fit together? Because to if you don't have that, these 12 prophets, and as we look at every single one of them in biblical order over the next 12 weeks, is going to be confusing to you. And the thing is, if you can't receive a message, how can you act on it? We all have cell phones, and there are some places that are amazing reception, and there's some places that aren't. And it's really hard when someone's trying to call you, and they need something, and you can't hear them, or they can't hear you. In the same way, this is how, for some of us, you know, the Bible is. I say this all the time. If you have a poor vision of who God is, you'll have a poor execution of your faith. And the best way to get a strong vision of who God is is spending time with God's Word. I spent a lot of my adult life doing my homework because it's important to me. But also the Lord has gifted me in this area that it's something that's important to me if I can help teach and explain to people. Growing up, I absolutely hated history. I'm a math guy. I know that's kind of, it might be shocking. I love numbers. It makes sense to me. Fractions, bring it. Quadratic of formula, there with bells on. English and history was a, a struggle for me. Um, part of it is, is that I'm very dyslexic. Um, it was a huge challenge for me um, going through school. I am fairly bright, and it was a struggle to me being a young man not being able to do some basic things. And I had to be a little diligent about it. Just like some people, there are some people who are naturally gifted that they can pick up an instrument and they can play. Then there's the rest of us who need to practice. There are some people who can walk into a kitchen and see a pile of ingredients and they're thinking, Iron Chef, and we're like, I'm going to starve. There are some people who are naturally gifted in running. There are some people who are naturally gifted in all kinds of areas, but for the most part, a big portion of us, we have to work at it. OCD I love those people they can come organize my house any day um <laughs> and that being said um we need to spend more time with God's word and I'm so excited that Pastor Ron is going to take us to a place in the Bible that a I think a huge chunk of us have never been or a bigger well, for sure almost all of us have not been in a very long time we've read through it and we're like this is rough and I'm so excited, just like I said, you know, taking people to Seattle for the first time or taking family members or friends to the place is very exciting as a leader <laughs> or even as a tour guide. So we're going to be your tour guide for the next 12 weeks looking at some of these neat, exciting stories. But let's kind of cover some basic stats now that we're kind of diving into this. There are 12 minor profits. And the first thing you're thinking, like, well, what's a minor profit? What's the difference? So we've kind of... Numbered them. There's two different categories of prophets. We have the major prophets and the minor prophets. The only difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet is major prophets were really wordy. Um, uh, Isaiah wrote 66 chapters. The smallest book, Obadiah, is one chapter. Almost all the twel- all the 12 minor prophets wrote no more uh, 67 chapters. It's the shortest one is one, ranging up to 14. Hosea and Zechariah. They're written between the periods of 835 B.C. and 520 B.C.-ish. Um, so that's where we get that roughly about 600 years, and you thinking, well, that's 180 years wrong. Well, we don't have some things down, pinned down perfectly, but the Lord does, and that's good to know. Um, so kind of checking those things out. Um, you find them in the middle half of the Bible. Um, if you basically flip your Bible to roughly about the middle, you'll find yourself usually right about Lamentations, which is a couple books just before the first one, which is Hosea we to go back to that timeline. Um, some of them were sent to the nation of Israel. Some of them were sent to the nation of Judah. Some of them were sent to the Assyrians. Some of them were sent to Edom. The first one chronologically was Joel. Joel was the first one. When you, but you, when you look in it in biblical order, he's in the middle. One of the things we need to remember when we approach God's word is it is not necessarily in chronological order, which is Really hard for our OCD friends or, as Pastor Ron says, CDO, who have got to put the letters in alphabetical order. Um, it is a challenge. The, you know, the last one was Zechariah. A lot of people think, well, it had to have been Malachi because he's the one that's on the backside. Nah, no. Some of them were sent right after Israel was conquered by the Assyrians. The Assyrians were conquered by a group of people called the Babylonians. Babylonians hung out for a while and then just as evil feeds upon itself, just like Jesus said, the Medes came. And the Medes got conquered by the Greeks. And then the Greeks got conquered by the Romans. And then we, most of us are now good into the historical context like, all right, now all this is coming together. One of the reasons why these are so difficult for us to read is because it's like looking at that mountain range. Which peak is closer? Which peak is further? In these books, you're going to find a couple of sets, different types of messages. The first one is our messages to the people or to the nations. The Lord warning them, hey, come back to me. The other messages we see are messages of Messiah. In every single one of the books of the prophets, major and minor, there are prophets saying the Lord is telling the people, I am sending you the Messiah who will pay for everything and it all will make sense and he will be king and they were looking forward to that. Then there are some other sets of prophecies that are way out in the future. We're going to call them the day of the Lord. We're just going to put them in that giant category, the day of the Lord. And every one of these prophets were given these messages, not necessarily knowing the order and how much space was between each of these points of time. When I was asked to write this, um, deliver this message, I first asked the Lord, I know you're perfect. I know your word is perfect, but enlighten me lord teach me inspire me why are the minor prophets in my bible today because i hear so many people like say well that's the old testament that was for yesterday and the lord said very fine i was reading in my daily reading because i read in order i was in the back end of chronicles and in the very last chapter which is chapter 36 in verse 15 the lord showed me the answer and it says, and the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. I've read the Chronicles over and over and over again. It's one of my favorite books. I know I'm a little weirdo. Um, but I've missed this. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers. Warnings. Warnings of what? We need to go back to Deuteronomy to know that. He said, if you turn from me, O nation of Israel, I will not forget. And you won't forget either. I won't let you. And I will send you messengers. Rising up early and sending them. I love this context of rising up early. I work really late at work. I'm a swing shift guy. I get off at like 2 o'clock in the morning, 3. Like early for me now is like 11. Church Sunday. This is basically the middle of the night for me. Rising um, Rising up early. There's a feeling there when I read that verse the Lord did not waste any time sending messengers. He rose up early. to As soon as they took that first step, I feel like, or even as their foot was hitting the ground, there was a messenger saying, like, don't do that. The Lord said, follow me in all of your ways and I will bless you. If. It reminded them of the if called the principle of blessing. And not only that, he says, you know, Sent his messages rising up early and sending them because of his compassion. It's really easy when we hear, you know, read the prophetic thinking, ooh, God is harsh. He is. But he's also loving. He's also compassionate. He didn't want his people to go through the things that they would endure. He did not want them to be conquered by the Assyrians. He did not want them to fall to the Babylonians. He did not want them to go into exile a second time with compassion. On his people. Key word there is his people. The Lord chose the Israelites. And it was captured like he chose his people. He just said the people. But the fact that there is an important word in there, his people. And his dwelling place. That's also important. The Lord said, build my temple there. This is where I'm going to choose to reside on this mountain. This is where I will establish. That's where it was. That's where David made sure that Solomon had every scrap piece of lumber, every piece of gold that he needed to make a magnificent house for the Lord. And that's where it was. But the people turned and they left. So some of you might be thinking, oh, that's good. We're going to learn about yesterday. We are going to learn about yesterday. But we're also going to learn about today and forever. I'm a huge proponent because it's important to me, and if it's important to me, it's important to everybody. Oh don't no. It's really important that you need to remember that grapevine is part of a denomination. We belong to the four square church, and in every four square church, there is a verse in every single sanctuary, and it is the one behind me, and the reason why this verse is in every single four square church is that it makes it impossible once you're made aware of it to take the stance, well, that was yesterday. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's really important for us to hang on to that as we look at the minor prophets and these messages because you're right, that was yesterday, but now there, there is a comma that says today, comma, and forever. And this is where kind of quantum theory and temporal mechanics kind of enter in fancy word of like putting place things into timelines. We need to kind of think of this as, a, let's think of, we'll pick on Obadiah. Obadiah's yesterday was my yesterday. Obadiah's today was my yesterday. Obadiah's forever could have been my today or my forever. And as we come, as we read these, I'm going to challenge you, every single week we're going to approach a new book. They're only 14 chapters long. The longest ones, if you read two chapters a day, you'll be finished. I am pretty sure you can find time to squeeze in two chapters a day. So I'm really going to challenge you, exhort you to follow along. I promise you that the Lord will bless that and he will teach you. It's huge. But in that, you're going to run into some things where you're looking at the mountain range. And an invaluable tool that really helped me with this is that verse that's behind me. We're going to slowly unpack that. So yesterday. We need to do a quick recap of the yesterday. Yesterday is everything from where I'm standing right now all the way in the past. That is every single book of the Bible minus one. And if you can remember, it's the last one. You're good. Every single one of these was my yesterday. And every single one of these has impact for today and forever. But In the context of Obadiah, today was what they were writing about. Every single one of those prophets, there today, they were saying message, foot going down in bad spot. Maybe you should stick it on this one. is what they were doing. Those messages to the nation turn back to the Lord. Messiah is coming and Messiah is coming again to establish forever the day of the Lord. Sometimes in some renditions it's the day of judgment. That's where that comes from. And it's so important to, to not lose sight of that. And as we go through this, to hang on to God's word, tuck it into your heart. Because it's so easy to forget yesterday. Some of the most impactful things in my life from messages have come from people I hope no one's offended that are older than I am. In A lot of ways these prophets filled in those roles. Some of them were young, some of them were old. But we as a church, we need the wisdom of our older people. You've made some mistakes. You can help us avoid some of those pitfalls. You can pour into us. We can pour into you. I'm going to put myself in both categories because I'm kind of in the middle, I feel. You know, we can pour into you. We keep you young. Keep you vibrant. Giving you permission to pour into us just like these prophets did of old. And then we kind of have like, we're going to talk about my today and their forever. And Acts chapter 2 captures a really important message. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Luke was the writer of the book of Acts. The same verse behind me applies to this one. The yesterday of this verse, in every single Bible, there's usually an asterisk or some little note that says, hey, this is a reference to the prophets. One of the prophets said the same exact verse down the letter. I don't want to get nitty-gritty because I don't want to steal from the other 12 messages. But one of them said, it shall come to pass in the last days, says the Lord, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. A couple verses before that, we have the 12 disciples being in the upper room, being touched by the Holy Spirit. And Luke is so excited about this. When you read the book of Acts and you read the book of Luke, you would almost not even think they were the same person writing it. The book of Luke is very factual, very journal-esque, very medical journal, um, textbook-esque. But the book of Acts has a huge sense of emotion behind it because of this verse. Because he remembered all prophecy falls under today, yesterday, and forever. And you remember, he said, yesterday, remember the prophet said this? We're watching it happen. And it says, in the last days. We're in those last days. Those last days were when Jesus died till when he comes back. I know it's, those are a lot of days. But he says that, you know, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is one of the things I love about the Bible. There's no little dot, dot, dots. There's no little caveats. You can't cut and paste. It says all flesh. That's my flesh, your flesh, their flesh, all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Last time I checked, if you're here on planet Earth, you are a son or a daughter of someone. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. It doesn't say dot, 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 except for you. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Ladies, it's probably really easy to read this verse thing. Yes, I'm off the hook. My second X chromosome has saved me. Wrong. You are in a church, in a denomination that believes that women carry an equal burden to spreading the gospel and being disciples and discipling others. If you. I've never heard that before from the pulpit or from a pastor. It's biblical. You need find me down line and I will answer those questions for you. But ladies, you are equally yoked with us. There are some things, I saw this great Facebook meme earlier this week that was like perfect for this. It was basically saying women stop trying to be men. There are some things that the Lord created you to do that men cannot. Ladies, there are some things in ministry that you can do that impact the kingdom that every single XY chromosome are in here. That's guys. We cannot do because he uniquely equipped you to do that, not only the sins of yesterday, the sins and it is your equal burden and share. Goes back to now the next grouping of categories: older and younger people. We have those same things: your sons and daughters and your young men. Oh, I'm not young. Well, at one point you were young in faith. At one point you're young at heart. They're, we're all stuck in this category. And when I kind of talk to you, Lord has really laid it in my heart. You know, when I've been studying this concept of honor, how even my generation is not honored, our older generation. My generation was the first one where there was a schism or a gap between me and the generation ahead of me. I was very fortunate. I had some people pour into me, but I had to make it deliberate. Some of my mentors taught me some important things. Like when I turned 30, the most important lesson I learned, like the week before that, And it was probably the most important lesson I learned in my entire 20s. And it's because someone took the time and shared with me, Stu, control your schedule or it controls you. Okay? And I have not been living that. I was letting it run me ragged. I was on the leash. Letting it tell me what I was going to do. But because someone who was more seasoned, older, stepped into my life and said, stop doing this. Just like a prophet of old. So you ladies and young people, I mean older people, you're not off the hook. To you young people, you have a responsibility in this also. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy and you shall have visions. We talked about in Acts 2 that the Lord will pour out my spirit, the Holy Spirit, on all flesh. That's all of us. Do not be weirded out or freaked out when the Lord gives you visions or he tells you something in your heart. The only difference between most people are the people that do and the people that don't. The only difference between mostly myself, Pastor Ron, Pastor, we've done. We've done our footwork. We've done our homework. No one signs up for college thinking, yeah, I'm just going to get a great education. No, you have to go to class. You have to do homework. You have to pay attention to the lecturer. You may be tested. Same thing when you go to the DMV. Same thing. You're not thinking like, oh, yeah. But we take that same approach when we approach the Bible and we approach our faith. We expect it all to be done for us. It doesn't happen. Yes, he does give us his spirit, but there is some footwork. And so when it happens, don't be surprised. You have questions, that's what we're here for. I hear a lot of churches say the Holy Spirit is kind of like our weird third cousin. I hate when people say that. Hate it. We believe in a God of order. He is an orderly God, and know when he gives you a message, it will line up 100% with God's word every time, without fail, because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That forever component is so important to us because it impacts our world today, and as we read these 12 prophets, there will be messages that were for their today that are also true for our today. We are entering an election season. I hate it. But I believe it is my civic duty and God-given blessing that I can engage in it. We as a church will never tell you what to do, but what we will do is to pray about it and to pursue the message that the Lord has put in your heart. Those messages for Israel and Judah are the same messages for the United States. It is the same message for whatever Scandinavian country I end up in. No matter where we are on planet Earth, every nation, those messages are true. God has not changed the covenant he has not changed, neither has it. And it's so important for us to remember that, to extend grace, and to really pray and ask, the Lord, what would you have us do? And every time that you fall in line with that, I promise you, God's word remains true, God's truth remains absolute and supreme. Amen. Perfect. That's awesome that we can agree to that. I'm going to pass it on. I'm going to say this. I love the word amen. A Stu pet peeve of mine is when people say like, hey, step on a nail. And people say like, amen. No. Watch where you use that word. Amen means let it be. Establish it is the Hebrew word. So just, that's a public service announcement for Stu. Um, I hate when people, it drives me crazy. Um, So kind of putting this all together and unpacking it. The first thing I really want you guys to walk away with this idea is that we need to know our Bibles and history better. We need to do some homework. The moment you said, yes, Jesus, you're Lord, you enter college, the university of Jesus Christ. There is some learning. You're right. You can flunk out or you can choose to excel. That decision is all on you. Number two, which is that we need to pay attention to these messages because they are for today and our future. That wasn't in a little box labeled ancient history and it stays there. These next 12 weeks, there will be messages for us today and into our future. And lastly, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today and tomorrow. He has not changed. The same Holy Spirit that gave those prophets messages yesterday is still the same one giving those messages to us today and tomorrow. When we look at this verse behind me, we sometimes, oftentimes in the Foursquare Church focus on yesterday, today, and forever, but we miss the first two words. The Jesus Christ. I love that the beginning of this verse is the two most important words, I think, on planet Earth, Jesus Christ. And it's so easy that we lose sight of that because we want to focus on yesterday, today, and forever. It's really easy for you to lose focus on the yesterday, and it's sometimes a little bit easier on the future. But we need to remember who Jesus Christ is because he hasn't changed. Jesus Christ yesterday was born of a virgin, divinely conceived, Lived a perfect life here on planet earth. Taught 12 disciples. And all of those words in my Bible are read are true. He went to the cross as prophesied and died for my sins and rose three days later. Saying, Stu, your sins, if you confess with your mouth that I am Lord, are as far as east is from the west and they can never come together again. I love the word never and I love absolutes. That's why I like math. Two plus two always adds up to Four. Jesus plus his grace equals salvation forever, eternally. It is so gratifying for me, and I hope it's gratifying for you. And if you're sitting here today and you've never heard that message, you've never understood the Old Testament, and now it's starting to come together again, you're like, I now finally get it. Awesome. We're going to pray in a couple seconds, you know, that Jesus is Lord. And if that is you today, if you've never confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you now understand the true gospel, I guess you to slip your hand in the air. Perfect. We're all family. Now, the other question I have is, is the Holy Spirit is talking to us today. Today is baptism weekend. We in the Four Square Church believe that Jesus Christ is Savior, which we just kind of made sure we're all in that boat. The next box is the yellow one, that Jesus Christ is our baptizer in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us so much. As we saying he is our source of our power. He is the source of our strength. He is our source to the power of heaven. So many people go to these cheaper sources. Power of man is not going to get you there. Power of Google is not going to get you there. But the Holy Spirit will open up the heavens. Show us your glory. Show us your power. Some of us have never asked Holy Spirit reside into me. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the most important gift, I think, as a pastor, I can give any believer beyond the gift of salvation. I'm going to ask all of you to stand with me today. If you've asked for the Holy Spirit to reside in you, perfect. We need to be reminded of this just as we pray with new believers that Jesus is Lord. We need to pray, Holy Spirit, reside in me. He will never leave you. It's not like you leak or, you know, you need to, it evaporates. You don't need to fill up the gas tank. He is with you forever. But sometimes it's good to remind ourselves of the anointing and the blessing that we have in the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. That's definitely worthy of an amen. So I guess you guys repeat after me. Lord Jesus... You are Lord. Lord. I confess with my mouth that you're Savior. Holy Spirit, reside in my heart. Anoint me with your power and your gifts. Give me the wisdom and the discernment and the power of heaven that I can receive in the authority in the name of Jesus Christ my Savior, and my King. Holy Spirit, inspire me and give me the courage to step out in faith, to share the messages and the gift that is in my heart. And all of us agreed and said amen in the name of Jesus. Amen. Folks, have a great week out there. If you have any questions, that's what we're here for. And make sure you come check us out on Monday if you're free.